So let's all turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and uh, we're going to look at the continuing uh, journey of the messy church <laughs> in uh, Corinth, and we've been looking at different things today, the messy divorce dilemma. And I'm looking at this, and I, I have to tell you, this is, uh, again, it seems like we're able to hit uh, the topics of the day. And talking about divorce, that's something that obviously touches every one of us, if not personally in the sense of our own journey, but we know somebody who probably has been through divorce and in our life and all that that means. And it's just, uh, you know, I was thinking about the word I was reading a little bit in Matthew 24, and it talks about Jesus was warning us, you might recall that, and he said the days of Noah are going to come back. And he was talking about in the t days of Noah, if you recall that, uh, everyone was doing their thing unaware of what was transpiring around them. And Jesus was kind of warning them and saying, don't be like the people in the time of Noah when they were just naive and uh, just oblivious to the realities of what was going on around them. And I feel like that's a warning for us today. That you know we're living in in a, in a time where we don't want to be naive and 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 uh, can I say ignorant of, of God's word and understanding of what's going on? I mean, it's heartbreaking when I look at it. And again, I went ahead and got some help from uh, Jana who assists me, and we were looking at some statistical information. And I wanted to get 2018, 2019 stats right. And so when I think about and and look at the divorce rate, first of all. Our hearts ought to break that the divorce rate in the church and in the world outside the church, if you will, is statistically really not that much different. It still isn't. I mean, I, I would like to think that uh, uh, there is less divorce in, in, in those of us who are believers. And, and you've got to begin to think, why is that? Because I'm thinking, why? What's happening? What's going on? Uh, it, 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 it ought to be different, and I, I'm convinced of that. Right now, the the current uh, rate of divorce, if you're, and they, the way they do this is they look at first, second, third marriages. And first marriages uh, will end up uh, in divorce. Uh, you know, the numbers is 45%. And it usually happens, and statistically, within the first eight years. And the average age is somewhere between 27 to 30. And so, you know, there, there's some correlation there that's going on. So, there, you know, that's happening. And then if you get married again... They, they track that, second marriages. You can see what's happening, 45 to 60%. And then the third year goes up to 73%. So if you're thinking, you know, I'm learning as I'm going, statistics don't support that. Uh, that, in fact, you, you know, we don't figure it out and things continue to get worse. So, and, you know, it really is, I got to tell you, my own personal and professional experience, that's true. I mean, it, people just keep making the same mistake over because they just don't take time like we're going to do right now and look at the subject and understand it and hopefully not make all the mistakes that everyone else is making. And I think that's one of the reasons why the statistics are just kind of blowing up is we're not learning. We're not becoming educated. We're not really looking at the things. We're not understanding God's Word and the world around us. There's something that I know. When I, when I studied this subject and I looked at this and, and went through this in, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, I am still so uh, reaffirmed that relationships are one of the most important topics in God's Word. I mean, when you look at it, repeated over and over again is how important our relationships are, 
obviously how very important our relationship is with Jesus. And this ongoing from Genesis all the way to Revelation, the entire Bible repeats itself. There's a theme threaded through almost every single book. Relationship is really important. And doing relationship well is also very important. And so understanding what we can have and, and the dynamic of it. And part of what we learn is that one of the most intimate relationships we can have is with Jesus. And unfortunately, we miss that. I think the word intimate scares a lot of us. You know, I try to think of the word, well, a really close relationship. But you and I can be closer to Jesus than almost anything else if we approach it, if we, if we work at that. And then the word says, second to that, is a marriage relationship. That there can be an intimacy that takes place between two human beings, and it ought to be unlike anything else. And one of the dynamics that makes it very powerful, we talked about last week, is that when you're married, you engage in physical intimacy. And in a, the, uh, and God's Word says, remember we talked about how God wants to protect us, and so we stay within the boundaries of that relationship, and therefore, that's the only human being on this planet that you're intimate in that way with. That's the way it's supposed to be. That's God's best for us. Now, we realize today that may not always be true, and we tend to give away some of those things, and we talked about that last week. But we're reminded that the Word of God says these things are really, really important. And I want to see, and God says, I want to see you healthy. I want to see you happy. God really is about our happiness. God said, I'm going to create you so you can enjoy life, so you can get up and look outside in the morning, and there's the sun coming up, and it's that cool, crisp day, and you go, oh, man, this is a great day to be alive, as opposed to, oh, God, another day, <laughs> you know, or, or the first thing you think about are all the things that are, you're faced with, all the problems, because, you know, maybe we're just not living life really well. We're not living within the boundaries that God has given us. Divorce is a problematic subject today because it is difficult. I think it's difficult because of the pain that it causes. It's difficult because of the emotion it invokes. And, you know, it's not just about two people divorcing. You know, it's about two people, and if there's children, the children, the effect of the extended family, the effect of friends, the effect of the community. Um, and i got to tell you something. Can I just tell you personally, I, am, I totally get it. I mean, you should understand, and, and I think the church and maybe individuals like me get a bad rep, and somehow there's this, this idea of judgmentalism and stuff. That's, that's the last thing you're going to see from me as your pastor or from, you know, I think people in the, in the life of this church. Because I know how, I mean, let me tell you, I know how hard and difficult and painful this is. I went, my family, my mom and dad divorced. And that is still, I mean, we're talking a long time ago. But that is still and was very painful. The memories of it, the, I was thinking about this morning kind of praying and talking to God and kind of reflecting a little bit on my own journey. And I thought, ouch. I mean, I was, you know, about 16 when it first started. And that it was like a two-year process that they did their thing. And I still remember, I can still remember sitting in the backyard on the steps with my dad for what I thought was the third time when he said, I'm leaving this time I'm not coming back. And I still remember the pain of that and thinking, what could I do to fix it? You know, and, and I remember the thought, what did I do wrong? It, it, was it because I wasn't behaving well or something like that? And, 
had all these just crazy thoughts. And I'll never forget then, it wasn't too long thereafter, and I still have my mom's suicide note, that when I came in and found her uh, with a drug overdose, called the ambulance, and they all, the, the fire and the rescue, and they came and saved her life, I remember, let me tell you something, I get the high cost of divorce. I see the damage that it does, the pain that it causes, and I have sat with literally thousands of couples over all these years, and I have been there with strong empathy and sympathy. So you understand, I'm approaching this very uh, carefully. I'm approaching this biblically. I'm approaching this with a tremendous amount of compassion for every one of us. Because I've been there, I know you're there, you may be headed there, there may be something going on. I'm so well aware of that there are conversations happening all around us that sometimes we're not understanding it. You know what, there is a high cost for the process and the fact of divorce. Not just the idea of money, but the idea of the mental, emotional, the spiritual, the physical, the relational cost. I have not ever met someone, you know, certainly in really, there are some relationships that are abusive and they're violent and, and there's ugly things going on and you'll hear just the unbelievable relief of not being in that relationship. But you just don't hear very often, well, that was really a great thing. I, I heard someone sharing about the divorce party kind of a thing and the whole idea of almost like celebrating this thing. And, and I, I just, I get that secular view, but my personal close interaction with I have not ever heard anyone say, well, that was a great thing. You know, it might have been the right thing. It might have been uh, the thing that brought amazing relief. But, you know, when someone starts saying, well, let's celebrate, there's, there's something else going on. You know, this and you and I are a place of reconciliation, redemption, and, re and restoration. And this is a place of healing. You know, God has brought us here, and we are a place of healing. You know what I believe? I've said, this used to be something I, I said a long time. I was thinking about it. We're a lighthouse. You know, I, I, we're a bright light, and I think for all those, especially in marriages and families, that we want to warn you about the rocks that you might hit. That's what a lighthouse does, and, and it guides you in. We want to guide you in the Lord. And, and we're a frontline hospital. You know, we, we recognize that from all of these things comes a lot of brokenness and, and, and hurt and pain. We want to come and say, you know what, in the name of Jesus, be healed. Can you say amen to that, church? So starting at verse 10 of uh, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, um, I don't have that, uh, do I have that? Is that the next slide? Oh, wow, I planned that really well. Okay, so let's go ahead and, and uh, read this. Uh, you can follow along, I'll read it. That'll be great. Turn your devices on. But for those who are married, I have a command that comes not from me, but from the Lord. A wife must not leave her husband, but if she does, leave him, let her remain single, or else be reconciled to him. And the husband must not leave the wife. Now, I speak to the rest of you. Uh, and uh, let's see, well, yeah. So now I speak to the rest of you, though I do not have a direct command from the Lord. If a Christian man has a wife and who is not a believer and she is willing to continue living with him, he must not leave her. Okay, let me just stop for a second. Can you go back for that for me just for a second? I, one of the things that is problematic, and, and you want to understand this piece, is that we're talking in a culture where women had no rights. Although there was a controversy going on because the Roman Greek culture was starting to assign women's rights. And so there's this kind of 
tension going on culturally and ethically. You know, it wasn't just theology, it was also a secular uh, kind of political, if you will, uh, issue that was going on at this time. And so the way this was written was in the understanding that women don't necessarily have rights. So you got to be careful when you read this that it, it does apply. The principle is consistent. And there's a, there's a number of other passages that reinforce this. But the fact is this is applying to both men and women. It kind of looks like, it's, you know, I read this and I thought, wow, this doesn't seem equitable in terms of, you know, husband and wife stuff. But that was the culture of the time. So you and I have got to make that transition as we read this word and realize that this is talking to all of us. Okay, because the amen of that, amen. that's important you get that piece because, again, that's been misinterpreted. As I said, again, the guys had all the power at this time because of the culture that they were living in. But again, there was this kind of this amazing tug-of-war going on and what was taking place. So I wanted you to see that. And again, we're talking about the overall concept of desertion. Okay, let's continue. Verse 13. And if a Christian woman has a husband who is not a believer and he's willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him for the Christian wife brings holiness to her marriage and the Christian husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. But if a husband and a wife who isn't a believer insist on leaving, let them go. In such cases, the Christian husband or wife is no longer bound to the other, for God has called you to live in peace. Don't let uh, your wives realize that your husbands, uh, don't you wives realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? And don't you husbands realize your wives might be saved because of you? So uh, there's a lot going on here. Now again, don't misunderstand. I, I'm just, I'm not going to cover everything here, okay? Qualifier. So there may still be questions that you're going to have. You're looking at this. You and I would have to spend about four or five hours together for me to get everything for you. So is it okay if I, I'll, I'll hit a couple things? Can you say amen to that? Okay, write that down. Sign it. You're okay. I just want to make mention that, you know, the, 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 the idea of kids, you know, and, and you know, the idea your children would be holy, you know, like they might not be, it's just talking about creating the environment. It's the idea that... This is the word for, called sanctification, and that's the idea that, you know, our children, if you're a parent, your children are covered by you as a mom and dad. That's a big deal. And so we bring literally the presence of Jesus into the home because a child is understood as not being able to do that all by themselves. You know, so that's the idea that that's why we have laws to protect children. They are not capable of doing what we adults can do. So there's this unbelievably challenging question. So may a divorced person, uh, you know, can they get married again? Uh, you know, can you actually divorce? All these kinds of things. So first of all, what Paul is doing is he's giving us the ideal. He's helping us understand what the law says, what grace says. There's a lot going on here. But you've got to understand there's an intent here in this passage, and Jesus is going to reaffirm it. We're actually going to look at the words of Jesus, because this isn't just Paul writing. Jesus says the same thing, so it's reinforced. But you got to understand that, and, and this is something that's true, any human being can repent of their sin. Any human being can be delivered from their past. All of us can recover from the sins of our lives. Now, for whatever the grounds may or may not be, if you've determined what's happened in your relationship somehow has to do with sin, 
So is this unforgivable? The answer is, of course not. Sin is forgivable. Repentance is something that can happen for all of us. And we want to function at that level. That is a critical understanding. That is a foundational key point that we again believe in reconciliation and redemption and restoration. We believe in what repentance can do and confession. And we understand that, you know, there is, and you look at this, there's a number of views even presented in Scripture about this subject. I would look at it this way. There's a high view and a low view. And when you look at that, again, that's, that's a whole other subject. But when you look at the Gospels and what was written, Jesus made it very clear. I want you to really get this nailed down. He says, there is full forgiveness and restoration if you come to God in repentance and faith. Can you say amen to that? Amen. And that's critical. So there's a lot of spiritual discernment necessary. You know, God has made this unbelievable promise to us that we can be totally healed, we can have the wholeness of God, and, you know, this, you know, there needs to be some point of this in the understanding of how someone who is divorced comes and, and they can remarry and there's repentance and things like that. But let me, under, let's understand the high view. Okay, the Word of God has a best practice. You've ever heard best practice, right? A lot of times we use that terminology. What that really means is that, that there's understanding there is something that is absolutely superior to everything else. There is the very best. There is a best practice. There is, there is something that, although there may be alternatives, this best practice is what, what will pres, which will produce the very best results, right? Are you with me on that? All right. So God's Word makes it clear the best practice is one mate for a lifetime. That's the best practice. And so now you have to understand that there's grace, and we live by God's grace. So the key, I'm going to give you, this is my best kept secret. <laughs> People ask me, you know, how do you make marriage last? Well, the key to a lasting marriage is marrying the right person according to God's will. He's a man of that. There you go. We're done. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I've talked to a lot of people who, you know, they've been divorced and remarried and divorced and all that, and we'll have a conversation like this, and they'll say, you're right, I did not marry the right person. <laughs> and, and, and someone actually said this kind of tongue-in-cheek, you know, I really should have prayed about it first. <laughs> but there was truth to that, because I said, so are you saying you didn't pray? Well, no, not really. I, I really didn't pray, I didn't fast, I really didn't ask any questions, I just, pastor, I was in love. And it was said in such a way that we recognized that that really wasn't what was going on. <laughs> you know, getting married is a big deal. You know, I was looking at what are the top three things that you are going to make a decision on in life, I would say one of the top three is who you're going to marry and spend the rest of your life with, Right? You're thinking, well, what, what's the other, what's higher than that? Well, who are you going to serve for the rest of your life? I think that ought to be Jesus. Can you say amen to that? Amen. I think right underneath that is what your purpose is in life and what you're going to do for the rest of your life. I mean, I think that's a really big deal. you got to know, like, so God, you created me. What am I supposed to do now? You know, how do I spend my life? What do I do? And then who am I going to do this with? And the Word of God says the best practice is you find a mate for an entire lifetime. 
I think the problem is we've, we've decided to reject God's absolute truth and we've chosen to live by relative truth or what I, let me reframe that, convenient truth. <laughs> All right, this is truth that's very convenient. I love this one because it fits my life and I'm going to go with that one. All right, that's the way to go, even though I'm not supported in God's word. So do you understand, if, if you are divorced and you're sitting here and you've been through this, I, I want you to know that you have been or will be forgiven, accepted, and loved Amen. here at this church and by God. Amen. So you just got to kind of let that settle in and, and, be, and understand that. And we're not here. I, I like someone, I think it was, I forgot who it was, but someone said this. It's not my, um, uh, although I should claim it. Uh, we, you know, we're not here to unscramble eggs. <laughs> <laughs> can you unscramble eggs, right? Well, no, I don't think we can. We're here to learn and grow and understand, and here's my heart, protect any further damage, to try to maybe mitigate some of the pain through understanding of God's Word by the power of the Holy Spirit, allowing for God's grace and for his, his, that grace to be in us. I mean, think of Hosea. I was thinking, I was reading Hosea just as kind of some of my prep because the Lord God had spoken to him. He said, love a woman who is loved by a lover and is committing adultery, just like the love of the Lord for the children of Israel who, who look to other gods and love the raisin cakes of the pagans. I mean, God spoke to this prophet and said, I want you to go ahead and get back together with this woman, your wife, who's committing adultery and go back to her. Oi. You know, I mean, that whole idea, this whole thing, you begin to realize what was God's heart? God's heart was he wanted to bring his people back to him. And he wanted to say, listen, in what you're doing, here's a living metaphor, an actual real-life illustration of what you're doing with me. You're committing adultery with me. And so do you think I'm not going to remarry you? <laughs> do you think I'm, I'm going to toss you aside like you're no good anymore because you've done that? God's saying through Hosea, no. I still want you. I still love you. And even though you are totally messing up, come home. <laughs> you are welcome. I will, I love that song, I will embrace you in the arms of love. Right? So, very powerful what we, we have here and what the Word of God is sharing with us. I, I'm personally all about lowering the divorce rate. Can you see of that? If this is all true, I don't want to just ignore it and say, oh, well, too bad. Times we live in, let's just kind of do the best we can. We'll somehow figure it out. I think there's a way that you and I can actually do something about it. I think we can learn God's Word. We can teach our children better. We can understand that determining the will of God really is important. And so before we do things, we actually seek God's will, and we, we take on a, a godly lifestyle, and we stop living with compromise, and we... And we ask for help. We get training. We, we really do some things, and we realize there are some things that we really can do. It's interesting that when you study this subject, and I'm just going to touch on this, is that you know, there are reasons, there are factors. Uh, can you go back one, please? I think you jumped over. Can you, there we go. So these are factors associated with divorce and, re, and, 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 and or marital unhappiness. Now, these are things that are hard to change once you're married. We call these static risk factors. Okay, just look at them really quick. Having a personality tendency to react strongly or defensively to problems and disappointments. 
A lot of problems in marriage has to do, and I, I know this is going to you know, perhaps be a little sensitive, but it has to do with you. You're the problem. Okay? And this stuff can change, but it's hard work because a lot of us don't think we have a problem. It's like, oh, my personality is great. It's the other person's personality that has all the problems. <laughs> um, having divorced parents. Listen, that's an issue. My parents were divorced. I wasn't sure I wanted to get married. I thought about not getting married. And then God and Lois changed my mind. <laughs> Here I am, married, 42, 42 years later, doing pretty good. Living together prior to marriage. We know statistically, I, I've given this to you. It is a fact. I'm not making it up. Everyone, CDC, government, uh, sociologists, psychologists, uh, pastors, we all say the same thing. Cohabitation will increase significantly by almost 30% the rate of divorce. So this has been this way for a long time. Uh, being previously divorced, we already know the likelihood of, of you know, the remarriage is again continues. Having children from previous marriage, this is common sense. It, it, it complicates things. Having different religious backgrounds, not having or sharing faith. I mean, again, that's part of the problem here in the church in, 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 the, in 1 Corinthians 7 is that people were receiving Jesus, but so the married couple, only one was receiving Jesus. The other one wasn't. And even then they were recognizing the problem of that and what was going on. That's why that there was, again, a, a special limited condition. It's like, listen, if he or she doesn't want to live with you because you love Jesus, well, then let him go. Right? So that's the kind of idea about it. But that's based on the premise that if, here's, now I want to say something challenging. If two people really love Jesus, and it's real, let me tell you something, miracle's going to happen. Amen. Now, I am less naive than I used to be. And there's a lot of people who say they love Jesus and live these horrible lives. And I, I will be one of those that would say, really? And you're beating up your wife every other day? You love Jesus? Give me a break. You know, there's something wrong. You know, I mean, you're, I mean, there's some bad things going on. I mean, again, I'm not saying, oh, man, we're all, we're all imperfect. Can you see none of that? But if there's some behaviors going on, and you're trying to walk around like you love Jesus, then we've got to challenge that and look at it. Because if you really genuinely love Jesus and he's in your life, things change. We're all allowed bad moments. Can you see none of that? I've had a few bad moments. But God still loves me. He redeemed me. I changed, and I focused on stuff with me. Are you, are you with me on that? So that's kind of what this is saying here. So marrying at a very young age, right? And it's still true today. This is current statistics. If you're between 18 and 20 and getting married, chances of divorce are very high. And it's just like common sense, you know, that, that's the whole idea. Um, you know, you just, you, it's just there's a lot of uh, immaturity that goes with this age group. And we recognizing, and no offense to those of us in that age group, but uh, we're, we're, we, it seems like individuals are maturing a little slower than perhaps they did in the past. Knowing each other only for a short time before marriage, like, well, I love you. I've known you for three days. Let's get married. Um, probably not a great idea. Experiencing financial hardship. Finances is always in the top five of reasons why life is hard in marriages and relationships. Now, here's the thing that we also know that are very changeable. Now, all those things I just read, by the grace of God, they're changeable. But when you bring Jesus in the center of your marriage with prayer and, and common spiritual experience, strong faith, man, it really does make a difference. 
I mean, negative styles of talking, fighting with each other, like arguments that rapidly become negative, put-downs and, and the silence of treatment kind of thing. Man, those things can change. I mean, we, that's why we do what we do, fighting for our marriage. We're dealing with all this stuff. That's why you ought to be a part of it, because now we're helping uh, battle against these things, difficulty uh, communicating well, um, especially when you disagree. I mean, that's, you know, my wife and I have great communication. I'm right, she's wrong. Can you say amen to that? <laughs> See, that's why things don't work out real well. <laughs> Trouble, uh, being a team, uh, unrealistic beliefs about marriage. That's, uh, again, it's... <laughs> Every now and then, so, you know, I'm talking to a young couple or even uh, an older couple, so you're getting married. What do you think? Oh, man, we're perfect. There is no problems at all. Everything is wonderful. No, no, okay. You're, you're following me, right? Having uh, different attitudes about important things, critical, and, and again, a low level of commitment to one another. And again, reflecting how you're not protecting the relationship from others that you're attracted to, failing to view your marriage as a long-term investment. You know, all of these things we can do something about. We can do something about it. And that's what the God Word is addressing to you and I. Let's do something about it. And the problem is some of us, we're just not doing something about it. And so there's so much here, and you begin to realize that, so the Word of God says that, okay, let's, let's talk about this thing about divorce. Now, Jesus had a lot to say about this. Okay, now, so Matthew 19, starting at verse 3. So I've got to bring this in, right? Even though we're in 1 Corinthians, we've got to bring some balance with this. So I love this. Some of the Pharisees came to Jesus to try to trap him with this question. Should a man be allowed to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now, I want you to give the culture of the time what's happening, right? There is a huge debate, theological debate going on between two schools of thought. And the two schools of thoughts are battling each other. One school, literally one school was like today. In other words, today you can divorce for just any reason, right? Just, you know, you don't like what's going on, you go down and you can get a divorce done very quickly. Back then, there was something of that going on because this is literally written down in some of the rabbinical writings. And some of the rabbis had decided that you can divorce your wife if she burns the dinner. Praise God. How dare she ever serve me a burnt meal. I do not eat crunchy chicken. <laughs> you left that on the barbecue a little bit too long, dear. You're out of here. Let's try the next one. And so, <laughs> that seems ridiculous, doesn't it? But they were doing that. But why were they doing that? It wasn't because it was a burnt meal. It's because they wanted an excuse to go be with somebody else. And Jesus is saying, oh, no, you're not fooling me. You think it's about the birth dinner? It's because your heart is not in the right place. And you've decided you want out of this relationship and you just want an excuse. And that's what Jesus was writing to. And then there was the other school that said, kind of like what Jesus was reaffirming, except for special limited conditions, you don't want to get divorced. Because we want to work at this marriage relationship. And so Jesus reaffirms, haven't you read the scriptures, Jesus replied? Uh, right, like, duh. Uh, they record that from the beginning. Uh, God made them male and female. And he said, that explains why a man leaves his, his father and mother, be joined together with his wife, and the two are united into one. They are no longer two but one. Let 
no one split apart what God has joined together. In other words, Jesus just reaffirmed the permanence of a marriage relationship. He says, listen, here's what, here's what I intended. This is supposed to like work out for a lifetime. And so you got to do this well. And so they come back for a sin. Well, why did Moses mess it up? <laughs> Say, in the law that a man could give his wife written notice of divorce and send her away. Well, they asked, and Jesus replied, well, Moses permitted divorce only as a concession to your hard hearts. But it was not what God originally intended. So here is something. This is, the language here is critical. Jesus is just saying there is a concession here. The concession is hardened hearts. Now, this isn't God's best practice. That's what he's saying there. He's saying, but this is not what God had originally intended. But if you, and he realized, oh, this is how much God loves us. He says, I, I get your heart. And sometimes our hearts can get so hard that something bad is going to happen. And so it would be better to just not be married. And so, so there's this amazing, powerful statement there. And I tell you this, that whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless the wife has been unfaithful. Jesus' uh, disciples then said to him, Phew, oy vey. <laughs> if this is the case, it's better not to marry. Right? And so, I mean, you kind of get this. Again, there's this unbelievable tension going on. If you want to read more about the, the controversy, read Deuteronomy 24. That whole chapter will help you understand what it is that they're arguing about and the debate that's going on between Hillel and Shammah. Those were the two schools, the Hillel school of theology and the Shammah school of theology. It's kind of like, you know, the, you know I don't know, two, two opposing denominations who are arguing with each other right now. That's the whole idea, and it's just kind of crazy. But what's, what they're saying here, and here's what Jesus is saying, and what even uh, 1 Corinthians 7 is saying, is that, listen, the hardness of heart. Now, you've got to understand something, that there are two kinds of concepts going on in divorce. And what the Word of God is talking about, there's a certificate of divorce, and then there is the heart of divorce. And what's going on in Scripture, that's often confused and not understood and distinguished. And I'll talk more about this in a second. But he's saying, listen, if your hearts get so hard in a marriage, and literally the word is uh, the word scoliosis, and if you look up that word, it means the hardening of tissues. And what it's describing, and it puts two words together in the Greek, where literally it's describing the heart and the tissues of the heart getting hard and scarred. So that what's, what would happen if your heart becomes uh, dry and scarred and has you know, tissues that no longer allows even the flow of blood in it? What's going to happen to your heart? Right, you're dead, exactly. I mean, it's like, okay, things aren't working really well here in this heart. And that's literally what that's talking about. He's saying there are times when you're in a relationship that your heart becomes so hardened that's going to kill you. And how it's going to kill you is with unforgiveness. Because again, now here we've got to understand this. If you're in a relationship because, and here's what they're saying, there's repeated ongoing immorality. The Greek word there is porania. We'll come back to that in a second. And it has a very broad meaning. But, so what's going on here is that, so you're going to your mate and said, listen, I, you got to knock this off. you got to stop having affairs. I'm willing to work this out, but you need to stop doing what you're doing. And your mate says, yeah, I get you. 
nah, I'm not going to. And you want to you be with me? You want to live with me? Then you've got to accept me for who I am. And who I am is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play around. You know, I'm going to go ahead and have other relationships. And listen, dear, you're, my heart's breaking over this. And I'm struggling. With, no, I don't really care if you're struggling. I, I'm going to take care of your needs. We're going to stay together if you want. But you know what? You've got to accept what's going on. And now scar tissue's forming. Right? And the ongoing, continuing revelation of unfaithfulness, of woundedness. And so guess what's going to happen eventually to most human beings? We're going to wake up one day and go, I can't forgive you. Have you ever ha talked to that, had that conversation with someone? And I said, well, how you doing? Yeah, I'm doing fine. I am so glad to be away. I'll never forgive him. I'll never forgive her. Those are dangerous words to a believer in Jesus. Because what does the scripture say? Right? It tells us, it's really clear here, and the scripture tells us that in Matthew 6, it says that if you don't forgive, then your heavenly Father will not forgive you. And then if your heavenly Father doesn't forgive you, what happens? Well, then when you die, you're eternally separated. Now, this ought to wake us up to the power of forgiveness really important right you understand that and that's what the word of god wants us to understand and so what this is saying moses under god's direction jesus reaffirming it paul reaffirms it and says listen there are there are some things here that are giving us a there's a special limited condition or which you know this is possible and so to protect you from not losing your place in eternity then it would be better for you not to be married because of the hardening of your heart, which will eventually kill you. Now, we already know, and you should be thinking, but God's redemptive. Absolutely. But there are some people who refuse God's redemption. You've got to choose it. God doesn't just come in and say, well, that's it. You have no choice. And so that's part of the problem that we get into is that some people actually choose. I've talked to people like that who have actually choose the other path and have said, I don't want this. I am not interested in this. Not this way. You know, it's interesting. In Malachi uh, chapter 2, I, I love this. And again, I, just, just hang in with me. Because it says, God said, I hate divorce. Says the Lord God of Israel. I hate a man's covering himself with violence as well as with his garment, says the Lord Almighty. So guard, your, guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith. For you have wearied the Lord with your words. How have we wearied him, you ask, by saying... All who do evil are good in the eyes of the Lord. And he was pleased with them. Or where is the God of justice? In other words, you, you look at that, this is so relevant. It's like today people are saying, well, wait a second. In God's eyes, we're all good even though we're doing bad things. And that's the comment today of a lot of people who call themselves Christians. I'm, in other words, it's like they're convincing themselves and Malachi was dealing with the same thing and he's basically saying, listen, you guys think you're good in the eyes of God, but you're really not. You think you're pleasing, you're not. And then you're complaining about where is God's justice, like there isn't God's justice. I mean, one of the big things is it's like, you know, people complain. It isn't fair. It isn't equitable. <laughs> now, it says there that the Lord hates divorce. So that's not a statement that you can't get divorced. 
You have to understand, what does God really hate here? At this time, this was written at a time when there were partners, you know, you were married, and you were living like you were divorced, and you weren't willing to let the other person go. And God says, I hate that violence. See, at this time, there was, and it was understood, just like today, here's a relationship where two people are living together, and this is different from a decree of divorce. This is the heart of divorce now. And what's going on is, the attitude is, I'm going to live with you, but we're going to live like we're divorced. So I'm going to do whatever I want, you do whatever you want, and I really don't care about you. And in addition to that, I might kind of beat you up on occasion, or I might push you around, or I might be emotionally or verbally rough. But you know what? At this time, it was up to the guy to let the woman go. And the guy's saying, I'm not letting, ever letting you go. You're going to cook, clean, and you're going to do whatever I want you to do, and you're going to stay in here because I'm not releasing you. See, at this time, it was you would give them a certificate to be released. And God is saying through the prophet Malachi, I hate that because you are blowing up the concept of two becoming one. You are not living redemptively. You are not living as I intended you. And listen, buddy, you better wake up because it's not only do I hate divorce, but I hate what you're doing. And I don't think I want God saying he hates anything about me. Can you see a minute of that? Does that make sense? See, that passage has been misunderstood. And when you study and begin to look at it as closely as we are, you begin to realize what's going on. So let me summarize. When is divorce possible? Hardened hearts to unfaithfulness because of, again, unfaithfulness is the Greek word porania, and this is not pornography. This is sexual immorality. Oftentimes that's misunderstood. And then and there's the passage. I, I put it there for Matthew 6.15. And then desertion by a spouse. Those are the limited conditions under which we understand from God's word that, okay, divorce is possible. And when you think about all of this, and you know, in the word porania, if you want the whole list, you know, you can ask, uh, email me, I'll send it to you. I have all the scriptures here. But what that's dealing with is sexual behaviors that are spoken of as evil in God's word. We're talking about adultery, fornication or sexual intercourse. This is outside of marriage. Homosexuality, sodomy, incest, rape, uh, any sexuality uh, outside of marriage like lewdness, etc. And then worship of idols. Again, it relates right back to Hosea. And so what happens is that, listen, if you're living with someone who's refusing to change, you don't have to suffer but you've got to be very careful in doing this. This isn't just for any reason. This is because there's God's reason. So we've got to teach this well. Right. And we've got to let people know, look, if you want to go down that road, just don't go down that road. Talk to people. I've spent literally years with people trying to make that decision. They'll come, we'll start a process, and we'll spend one or two years working through that decision. And sometimes they follow through with it, sometimes they don't. Because the heart of that is let's seek God's redemptive work first.
but you got to really work at it. And listen to me. I want to say this to some of you and make sure you pass this on. Going once to see your pastor, going once to a counselor, that is just a first step. You haven't done everything. You know, sometimes we may need to sit and do this for years. This is that big of a decision. It deserves scrutiny. It deserves the Word of God examining and doing this with someone who knows what they're doing. That's how you process this. You know what? Because we want, we want God's best. We want God's best practice. Can you see one of that? Amen. Man, I so want to just talk to you right now and let you ask questions. But there isn't time. <laughs> So you have to keep the questions to yourself. But you can go ahead and email anyone on my staff <laughs> with your questions. <laughs> Pastor Ken in particular, he loves questions. <laughs> All right, can you send me another church? Amen. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this instruction that we receive. And I pray now for an outpouring of grace. I pray, God, that we really understand this and see it. Lord, as written in the Word of God, by you, Jesus, by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul, to the Corinthian church, now to us. I pray, if, and there may be a few here that are going through really deep waters. Oh, God, might they know grace. Might they be willing to seek help? First, by way of your Holy Spirit. And maybe with the help of somebody here. I pray, God, that we would be open to your very, very best. So would you help us, God? Help every one of us. And for those of us, Lord, are doing well, I pray we just keep doing well. Protect our relationships. Protect our marriages. Lord, bring your sovereignty over what we are working hard at. Bring your blessing. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. Tune in each week and be greatly inspired and move to deeper revelation. For service times and other resources, go to our website at alfc.us or download our app.